Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online Masters of Social Work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu. Hi, this is Steve. Jumping in before we start part two of The Wolf of Wall Street to do what I should have done before part one. Now, you probably already know that this film contains a truly ridiculous amount of drug use and sexual content. And if you're a regular listener of The Cinephiles, you know that John and I don't shy away from controversial topics. So, if frank discussions of drugs and debauchery aren't your cup of tea, then this episode might not be for you. And if you usually listen to episodes of The Cinephiles with young kids, I'd probably recommend a replay of Mary Poppins or The Incredibles rather than The Wolf of Wall Street. Now... With that out of the way, let the craziness begin. And you know what I was just thinking, too? The fucking hero that I'm going to be back at the office when the Bureau seizes this fucking boat. Because, I mean, fuckity fuck fuck, Jordan, look at this thing. <laughs> Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where this week we are continuing our exploration of the absolutely crazy... The Wolf of Wall Street. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roke. I'm a writer, producer, and host and uh, voiceover guy here in San Diego, California. And I'm real excited to dive back into the debauchery and madness of Martin Scorsese's The Wolf of Wall Street. And Steve, I think we have to thank our fans again as we go into part two of this discussion for selecting this film this has been so fun to revisit this film it's the first film uh that we have done from 2013 that was overwhelmingly chosen by you all the fans and you know um also a special shout out to our fans who have been patrons of the show and if you want to be a patron of the show or join the patreon you can head on over to uh patreon.com slash the cinephile see the multiple tiers you can be a part of and we've had some we've got some great responses on a lot of the stuff that we have been doing lately and especially on wolf of wall street from a lot of people who are both fans and patrons and i think that's a great thing steve i absolutely agree and i feel like uh, you know i don't i don't I'm not one to toot my own horn very often but i think you and i have been killing it on patreon and i think patreon is just getting better and better yeah yeah and uh you know it's also great to have people who support our show uh, occasionally um pick a show pick a movie for us and this is certainly one of those steve so let's get into it man Okay, well, speaking of, of it and speaking of the debauchery, that's where we just left off with this huge, ridiculous, insane, and fundamentally, for me, upsetting party at the offices. And what we hear is... Word about us spread throughout Wall Street, even the places I didn't want it to. And we cut to the FBI agent Patrick Denham, played by Kyle Chandler, who I love in this movie. Yeah, Kyle Chandler is such a great stabilizing force in any yeah. movie that you have, right? I mean, he just has a real comfortability. It doesn't matter to him whether he's on TV or shooting a theatrical film. He brings the same kind of energy and strength and confidence to his performances. And you compare that to like John Hamm in The Town, who I think is horribly miscast in that role. If you put Kyle Chandler in that role, The Town takes on even more electricity in the overall um, product that it delivers for you when you're watching a movie. So 
you got to find somebody who can go toe to toe with Leonardo DiCaprio, not be intimidated by him. And certainly Kyle Chandler does that here throughout the movie as a denim. Well, and I think this is just shows what a deaf filmmaker Scorsese is Mm. a, because he knows how to cast the right people. Right. And B, because he knows at this moment, we need to cut away to the threat to Jordan Belfort. Like, right. we, you know what I mean? Like, it's just right. really important to go to, to show that something is not going to go right for this guy down the line. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that's happening is that Forbes has taken an interest in Stratton Oakmont and they interview Belfort and they get a picture and he's really excited about it. And then we cut to the article that says the Wolf of Wall Street. A total fucking hatchet job. This conniving little twat. Look at this. The Wolf of Wall Street, they call me. Look. Like most people who have a first exposure to the press realize, sometimes the press is out for themselves. And uh, sometimes they're... They might have their own agendas. You got to be careful. But then again, Steve, clearly they were right to make fun of this guy because yeah. down the road, he was certainly found it to be incredibly corrupt. I mean, I, I don't think this Forbes article goes nearly far enough based <laughs> on what I already know about this guy. But he he is upset and he's talking to his wife and she sees the other side because she says, There is no such thing as bad publicity, sweetheart. Read the article, baby. Jordan, you look great. You're in a huge magazine. And back at the office, we find out that is exactly right because he is now surrounded by young guys desperate for jobs. We're seeing it more and more, Steve. If people write an article denigrating you, there's like this whole now mass movement of pushback that happens for almost anything. You, you, you can no longer be a straight up villain in society anymore or be too or be overwhelmingly corrupt in society anymore because there seems to be a contingent of people who are willing to push back and as we see in this movie that article doesn't make people not want to work for him it makes people want to work for him and the kind of people that want to work for him uh is a bit troubling for sure well i mean i think there are a lot of people who like how are we gonna say this Listen, there are a lot of people out there who like think this lifestyle looks pretty cool and they don't care much about the rules either. If someone in a position of authority says to them, hey, I don't follow these rules. Yeah. Just like Matthew McConaughey did mm-hmm. at the beginning with him. It's like there are a lot of people that are going to sign up for that cult. Paying forward doesn't always mean paying it forward positively. Paying forward can sometimes be you're teaching negative uh, behavior to people. But like you said, it's something that people are attracted to and want to have. If it leads to money, there are plenty of people who have no issues screwing over their fellow human being. I'm going to say I'm going to say it. There's no they have no problem with doing that. They have no problem with taking their money. And they say to themselves, well, if I could take your money, you shouldn't have let me take it. That's yeah. the rationalization that they come down to, which is, of course, completely unfair because the the scales aren't balanced. You're, you're using certain techniques that you know work are true and tested, and you've got this huge conglomerate behind you against a person who is just like kind of, you know, maybe not as smart, not as on top of it, or maybe easily susceptible to your kind of techniques. And that's the unfortunate truth. And it's still happening to, today in many arenas in our world. Well, and I'll take it a step further than that, because it's not just that someone isn't as on top of it or isn't as smart or something like that. And therefore, they're a victim of this. Jordan Belfort's cheating. Yes. You know, that is he's lying to these people and he's and he does it in increasingly sophisticated and dishonest ways as this movie goes on. You know, 
Um, and, but about these young guys coming in, he says, If we hired them, they dropped straight out of college overnight and spent whatever allowance they had on a new suit from our Stratton Taylor. You fucking serious right now? I mean, we were literally putting clothes on these kids' backs. And here comes this jerk off sniffing around. So he's framing himself as like, I'm the good guy. Yeah. You know, because I'm helping these kids fresh out of college to make their dreams come true. Yeah. And as we said, this is a cult and cults usually like to get people who are younger uh, so they can mold their minds just like the military does, just like um, any religion, other things. They like to get people at young ages to put these ideas in their minds and to keep them lifelong um, servants of any situation, business, religion, the military, you name it. Any number of companies, whatever they uh, sports teams. I mean, I was watching Liverpool this weekend. You know, it's my team. One of the players there, starting in the defense, had been in the academy since he was five years old. So they get them young, kind of put that in their heads that they this is something they can commit to and be in service of, and it becomes something that's incorporated into their identity. And that's how you get them and, and kind of manipulate them a little bit, for lack of a better term. Well, and speaking of manipulating, Jordan Belfort had a whole other tool for manipulating these people. This I don't think is mentioned in the movie, but it is in the book, Okay, which is when people would sign up, you know, he said, oh, they'd spend their whole allowance to buy the suit and everything. Right, right. He would loan them money to put them in debt so that they had to work harder and sell more commissions to pay back the debt that he and they're going like this is so great. I showed up at this company and now I got 50 grand in my pocket or something. Right. You know, and, and, but then they have to work even harder and be less honest, be more dishonest in order to make more money for the guy that loaned the money. It's like a credit card company does, right? Get you in college, sell this. Oh, you get free money. And you think yep. to yourself, well, I'll get a job. I'll pay it off. I want the money now, you know? And so it's, yeah, same thing. It's funny. There's a. I've I've listened a lot to the guy who writes uh, the freak wrote Freakonomics. Uh, yeah. Stephen, forget his name off yeah. the top of my head. But one of the things he's a he's an economist, and one of the things he talks a lot is that he thinks the way we teach math should be totally changed oh, in this really? country because basically we just teach we just teach math, mm -hmm. but we don't teach how to use math. And he's right. like, what people actually need is to be able to understand statistics, interest rates. All of these, that's what you need because the, that guy in college who goes in all that credit card debt yeah. don't doesn't understand what an 18% interest rate will do to them yeah. over the next few years if they're carrying debt because they weren't taught how to deal, you know, like what this really is and why it is a fucking scam, you know? Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. We have to do, uh, you know, but there are all financial institutions, all kinds of financial institutions who lobby to not have that kind of stuff taught in school yep. because they want to make people... Uh, be susceptible to the things that they're offering. That ne that does need to stop 100%. We need to teach economics starting in middle school to kids into high school and into college. For sure. Make it a requirement. It's funny. I was going to say this later in the show, but it kind of applies now, is that one of the things I think this movie does a disservice to mm -hmm. is Jordan Belfort is a scumbag criminal. Sure. You know, like he is operating entirely outside of the law and robbing people. But because of that, I think it almost takes attention away from all the completely legal and above board ways that big corporations and rich people and investors are stealing money from the poor. Fair point. You know, fair points, Dave. Yeah. He does say it a couple of times. Like, 
uh, when he's talking to Denim, right? We're the young guys. We're the yeah. first people on the block. You should go arrest those people, which we'll get to that scene in a little bit. But like, you, sh- you should see the things that they're doing, these big companies. And he's right, you know? Yeah, that are perfectly legal and accepted yeah. and, and, and reinforced by federal law that they can do these crazy things. Anyway, uh, but we're starting to be concerned about the investigations into Stratton Oakland. It was a madhouse. A greed fest with equal parts cocaine, testosterone, and body fluids. It got so bad, I had to declare the office a fuck-free zone between the hours of 9 and 7. So let me ask you about this. Um, What do you feel about Scorsese's liberty that he takes with these uh, shots and scenes of intercourse happening or fucking, if you want to be more crude, happening on screen. Like, we spoke at the beginning, the first part, how Scorsese wanted, f- like, f- the freedom to do the way the film, the way he yeah. wanted to do it. Do you think this is an essential element to show that feeling of debauchery that was going on here in this place? Do we see that as a connective tissue to cheating? Do you know what I'm saying? Cheating people out of their money, rather. Mm. Oh, that's an interesting way to think about it. Um, So, it's, it's weird, because... I think this is the movie. You know what I mean? Like this is the movie that they chose to make. Yeah. And I think they do a really good job making the movie that they chose to make. It's funny. um, For DiCaprio, he, the movie that was in his head when they started working on this was Caligula. (laughs) That sounds about right. It it totally does. Um, The John Favreau said that in order to do this movie, all the actors essentially had to have reckless abandon that they all had everybody. And again, I'm getting this from the movie. Right. So right, it right. could be that people were really upset. It could be that, that, that there was a lot of tension on the set in terms of all the nudity and yeah. what actors were asked to do. But based on what I saw in the behind the scenes footage yeah, and, th- and based on what everyone said, and, and this is what Margot Robbie said too, like she was nervous about the nudity, but she mm-hmm. felt like everybody on the set was going so full on and was that that she actually it wasn't as big a deal. And they say every single person on the set said they were having a lot of fun. Yeah. And the and and looking at the behind the scenes footage, people are laughing all the time. You know, like I've seen and so so my gut is that just in terms of um this just in terms of the crew and the mm-hmm. cast mm-hmm. that it was a, a good environment that might not be true but that's sort of my gut as far as the movie is concerned it's such a weird thing it goes back to you know brennan mars question at the beginning of oh, yeah. our last episode of yeah i i think what scorsese does is manage to make it a sexy some of the time mm-hmm. b disgusting a yeah. fair amount of the time yeah c funny mm-hmm. and d for me it makes me repulsed by jordan belfort and his behavior yeah. what, what's your feeling on it? yeah i don't know like when i look how can i say this i was you know in my younger years i was a very sexual being certainly had a lot of sex and i was very i enjoyed that and you know but then when you realize how soulless that can actually be and how empty that can actually be when you're a person who really wants to have a relationship you kind of move past it, which is, you know, where I eventually had to come to and doing therapy and all of that. But when I was, but if I've watched this movie when I was in my twenties, I'd have thought this was awesome and sexy and cool. And cause it plays into these instincts, these younger instincts of 
you know, wanting to get away with stuff that society tells you that you shouldn't do, wanting to cross the lines, wanting to violate the laws a little bit and, uh, you know, have sex wherever you can. And it's cool, you know, conquering things. It's a very male point, a point of view, right? The idea of conquering, the idea of being with a woman or having as many women as you want or having your wealth equate to him. So in a way, I think it's necessary for the film to show these kinds of scenes, but for me, older now, it makes me uncomfortable to watch these kinds of scenes for sure, where in the past I wouldn't have minded. Now, as an older, more settled person, I do feel like it's a, it's a bit off-putting, even though I think it is necessary for the film, you know? I I, I really agree. And what and, and that's why, I you know, Martin Scorsese wanted to have free reign, as mm-hmm. you said, mm-hmm. and he made this movie. And this is the movie that he made. You know what I mean? And I'm glad... And particularly with a, you know, a master filmmaker like that, I want him to be able to make the movie he made that, that yeah. the, the other thing that is kind of occurring to me is like, one of the things about being an addict is whatever your the pleasure that you get from the thing is never enough. Right. And so you always seek more and that, and I think the essential emptiness of what they're doing hmm. really as the film goes on really comes out because it's like, look, if you have 10 beautiful women, all the, the quaaludes and the cocaine and all the drugs, and you're still a miserable son of a bitch. Yeah. Like, obviously this is not working, you know? Right. But how many people are self-aware enough to realize that they need to go fix this thing inside of themselves? Um, Not a lot. I don't think there's as many men as there needs to be who are self-aware to get the kind of help they need to stop this kind of lifestyle and save themselves before they're, you know, put in jail or impregnate and have a lot of uh, children out of wedlock or do nothing anything wrong with that. I'm just, if you don't, if you want that, but if you don't want that and you're caught up in all these situations and these kids are being raised with uh, parents who have issues, like it's those kinds of things that at the end of the day is, is what you got to take into account. But, you know, when you're in your twenties, you don't listen to anybody, especially if you have a proclivity to do these kinds of things, you know, you're still kind of figuring it out and you think you're Superman, so to speak. So, well, at least I did. Yeah. You, you know what this movie doesn't show? And again, this is not, that's not the movie that Scorsese wanted to make, mm-hmm. but it doesn't show the, the battalions of tormented and tortured people that, were the results of Jordan Belfort and his guy's behavior. It's a great point, Steve. I was thinking about that because of Brendan's question from the last episode and the things I've been saying, I was saying through the first episode, which was of our show, which was, uh, you know, like if you feel this isn't a film that glorifies, or this film, there's a film that if you feel this is a film that glorifies uh, this lifestyle, you're not looking hard enough, but it is true that he doesn't show you the other side of it. He doesn't show you the victims of this behavior both the people in the office and the people who've had their money taken. We don't see these people being foreclosed, going homeless. We don't see these people killing themselves who lost all their money. We don't see these people going through divorces, losing their fam, going into depression. We don't see any of that. And on the other side, we don't see Jordan Belfort's employees who probably had the same, eventually realized like what was happening. We're in debt. We're frustrated, working long hours, drunk driving, getting high, uh, you know, who knows what else, maybe sexually assaulting women, like all these things we don't see, depression, suicide, like all of the stuff we don't see there um, to kind of show the negativity of what Jordan Belfort is doing. So in in one sense, Brendan's question actually is legitimate. And I want to backtrack on myself a little bit and say the film could have gone farther in showing 
the negative results of Jordan Belfort's action, balancing out what looks to be the glorification of his behavior, which I think is fair. I mean, just that woman who got her head shaved, like we only yeah, see right. her heading out. Right. And so we don't, I mean, like talk about an unsafe work environment yeah. or a hostile work environment. If you were, you know, the assistant or the secretary or, you know, you just came in for a day and people, I mean, like the disgustingness that's going on in every aspect of this yeah. work yeah. is horrible. And, you know, none of those people are in the movie and we, and, and Jordan Belford in his book doesn't talk about any of them, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and things of course are so bad at this office that they have to bring in Jordan's dad, <laughs> Mad Max <laughs> to set to be the, he describes him as the office's own Gestapo. And that of course is Rob Reiner. We called him Mad Max because of his hair trigger temper, which could be set off by something as innocuous as a ringing telephone. Who the fuck has the goddamn gall to call his house on a Tuesday night? God! Damn it! What is your feeling about the casting of Rob Reiner in this role? So unusual. It's the first time I've I got from any of the roles he's done since All in the Family. It's the first time I sense that All in the Family energy from him as an actor in this role. You know, uh, Meatball, I think was his name in All in the Family. Meathead. Meathead. Sorry, Meathead. Yeah, but he would have these like you know these loud um, tirades tirades in the show or rants on the show with Archie, which I thought were great to watch. For those of you old enough to remember it or who would like Nick at night. Um, and so it's a joy to see him in this. You know, this is the guy who did Princess Bride and when Harry met Sally. And so, you know, he has this kind of feeling around him. But I like seeing him let loose a little bit like this. Um, and also, he looks like you. So I'm, I'm thinking the whole time that it's, you know, this is this Steve Morris coming in and telling John Roca to stop taking money from everybody and selling people out. That's what I feel like. Oh my God. I'd love this role. I would love to play. This is exactly what the kind of role that was fun to me for me to play. <laughs> because I love like watching who from everything I've ever yeah. heard, Rob Reiner is an unbelievably sweet guy. Yes. That's what you're Um, And watching him, just watching the him getting pissed off because the phone call came during equalizer. <laughs> what Oh, please, tell me something I don't know. I wait all week for the fucking equalizer, and I have to fucking... Hello? But as soon as he picked up the phone... Gene, how are you, Gene? He'd affect this weird British accent. Righto, Gene, that'd be great. Cheerio. It was absolutely bizarre. Fucking halfwit! Put upon British accent is weird. Did you Have you ever had any exposure with that? Like someone puts on a different voice when they answer the phone? No. <laughs> No, but that is in the book. I mean, he yeah. says that that's what his dad did. Um, yeah, it, uh, he's he's and I'm sure that he was thrilled. Like, I, I'm yeah. sure like, you know, Scorsese calls him up. He's like, you want me to do what? And just <laughs> Of course, Mad Max didn't have to know everything we were doing at Stratton. And we hear the discussion of when they decided to hire the little people to throw at targets. Oh, yeah. And it is I, I just had to I get to say it the way I reacted to it, which is mm -hmm. that. I think what they are doing and what they are saying is unbelievably disgusting and offensive. And the way they're talking about these people, they call them it's, they, yeah. they say things about them having superhuman strength. You can't look in their eyes. And yeah. then they talk about whether or not they can pull out their cock or not and all this stuff. Yeah. And I think it is totally disgusting, but it is funny. Hmm. And and I'm kind of going like, well, does, does that mean that I think saying these things about these humans is funny? No, I don't think that's funny at all. Right. What I And I was trying to figure out like, well, what is it? And it's like, well, they're such morons. Yeah. 
Yes. And they're so, is that I'm not laughing at what they're laughing at. Right. I'm laughing at them yes. because they are disgusting humans. That's yeah. what like, I think it is. Yeah. And again, these are the moments where, like, if you look a little harder, uh, Scorsese is laughing at them. Scorsese is making fun of them. He's not making fun of the little people. He's making fun of them and how stupid they are about all of this stuff. Uh, these supposedly uh, titans of industry are stupid as, sh- as fuck about this kind of stuff. Yeah, and 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 you could totally tell the these are really good actors and yes. improving, well. and it's just they're one upping each other. It's they're yes anding this whole thing. You can't look him uh, right in the eyes. Either. Can't look him right in the eye. No, no, that's they, a fact. I saw on PBS. They get confused and their wires get crossed. You got to look like the chin, like it looks like I'm looking at you, yeah, but yeah. I'm looking at your chin. I feel like you're addressing me right now, but you're not, are you? <laughs> you know, it, it, to me, like all of these things are a test for whether or not this movie is for you. And right. I would say. There are a lot of people, this movie's not for you. Yeah, right. Like, if you're offended by this scene, absolutely respect that, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, like, I would not recommend my sister watch this movie. <laughs> she would not like this, you know? Um, well, if you're listening to our episode, yeah, please let us know if you saw the movie and what you thought about it. Yeah. Um, and uh, after uh, this long conversation about what they're going to do with them, which really is quite long. $430,000 in one month, Jordy? Huh? Four hundred and fucking thirty thousand fucking dollars in one fucking month. So just take that in for a moment, John. I don't know what the most you've ever spent in a month is, and is I don't know what the most... But it ain't four hundred thirty thousand dollars. No, it isn't. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. It, but again, that speaks to the debaucherous nature of this whole thing. The amount of money that they're wasting because they're making so much money to them, one hundred forty thousand is like twenty five bucks or a hundred dollars or even a thousand dollars. It's not to them. It's really pocket change because they can because they have so much extra money they can just spend it on nonsense, you know and. Him coming in, trying to call them out about it, I think is such a great scene because they're all kind of passing the ball to each other as they're um, trying to fend him off, which I think is very funny to watch. First of all, they apparently had a $26,000 dinner. <laughs> the appetizers, um, man. It was the appetizers. I, I, love, I love the joke where he's like, Reiner goes, what are these sides? They cure cancer? And Johnny <laughs> says, the sides did cure cancer. <laughs> <laughs> And then we get to EJ Entertainment, which is very obvious is, you know, a prostitution company. And and I I love the moment where Donnie mistakenly (laughs) says, you guys, the IRS, they allow for TNA. It's fine. TNA. TNA. Yeah, I said TNA. No, no, you said TNA. No, I didn't. Yeah, you did. But essentially he's saying, you know, yes, we are deducting the price of the hookers as a business expense. Yeah. I don't even know you can do that, but yeah. I mean, look, so I will tell you, so here, here's a story. Break it down, man. It's not, it's not a story about taxes, but it is a story from my wife who used to be a film production accountant. Mm -hmm. And there was a time where, you know, the, the people had expenses and the expenses would go to the accounting department and then they would reimburse people for the expenses. Right. Well, there was a a big movie star, a well-known movie star who has started movies we have done on this show who came in, who's chauffeur because he's a driver. The driver came in and handed over the, all of his expenses, which was, you know, he got a sandwich here and he did this there and included in that was like a $300 bill from an adult, uh, toy store 
itemized with like lubricants and dildos wow. and all sorts of things. And this thing went to my wife to be reimbursed. Now it might've been that the star didn't tell this guy to bring that in. And he just right. brought it. He just had a big stack of receipts or whatever. And so my wife went to her boss and said, we shouldn't reimburse this. Right. And the boss went to the line producer and the line producer took it to the producer <laughs> and they're all going, what the fuck do we do? And finally, the producer said, pay it. Because wow. he didn't want to have to go to the star and with the itemized list of stuff and say, hey, the production really can't reimburse you for this. And so the production paid for that. All for the embarrassment. All for saving the embarrassment. Yeah. $300 to save your embarrassment. And then they start... Uh, back to our scene. And yes. then Donnie starts poking at Max. You could see like he wants to get Mad Max to explode, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, Much and, to Gordon's chagrin. Yes. Yeah. Well, but, but it's so weird to me. It's like, what? I guess maybe it's some level of there's some little gene of responsibility that makes him decide to have his dad here. Because why would you have your dad here? It's his dad. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Because he wants yeah. to impress him as well. That's a part of it, too. But Donnie, who loves to cross the lines he loves to poke the bear throughout the whole movie it makes all the sense in the world he'd want to poke uh jordan's dad um and i love the the button <laughs> sorry now i just <laughs> i don't mean like that i mean just poke his buttons well we're gonna hear <laughs> some stuff about yeah look <laughs> it's with donnie you never yeah um i love the button on the scene where where rob reiner says what kind of hooker takes credit cards a rich one <laughs> And then we cut to again, we're going to explain everything. And we yeah. get an explanation of the three different kinds of hookers employed at Stratton Oakmont. Yeah. The blue chips, the uh, NASDAQs, and the pink sheets. You know, I always look at these scenes like an actor, Steve. And I go, you are a female actress and you're mm -hmm. agreeing to simulate getting fucked naked on screen. Mm -hmm. And you're probably getting paid extra money, which is, ex and I mean, as an extra. Which if no, they have to get paid more than that. that I would. Think. I think they. Oh well, I should suppose yeah. showing your your yeah. right your. But it's not big money. I mean, it's you know. No, right, exactly. Yeah. So maybe it's like a hundred. Maybe it's hazard pay, like a hundred bucks or something, extra on top of your non-union or union extra. Let me tell you, at the time, I think I'm right on this because I was just getting out of being extra around this time. Non-union extras were fifty bucks a day, yep. and they could work you twelve to sixteen hours a day. Union extras, eight hours, I think it's like 120, and then, you know, you get overtime and then golden pay if you go past 16 hours. But so I wonder how much they got, and was it worth it, you know, just to be in a Martin Scorsese film for a quick flash past and see yourself having sex and, and being talked about in a negative way yeah. as you're like a low-rent type of hooker. So well, that, I always yeah. fascinated as an actor watching these moments. That's what I was going to say, because when he gets to the pink slips, it is not complimentary. And, and she is not filmed to look attractive, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I, I, and again, you know, we're actors are out on strike right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is what, these are the things that people don't understand about. It's like, you, you know, that in there, in this actress's mind, yeah. she is going, it's a Martin Scorsese film. Right. You know, like this could be my big opportunity if I can meet him. And, you know, that so th actors are so vulnerable to being taken advantage of. Yep. Because they're pitched all kinds of bullshit. And I really hope this is why I go like it. My impression is that people really were having fun on the set. Mm -hmm. And I really hope 
that Martin Scorsese was beautifully making sure that everyone was taken care of and comfortable yeah. and and that they were well paid and that they, you know, but I don't know that that's true. And it might very well might not be true, you know? Yeah, yeah very true. Now we're going to have this conversation with dad, which is a really funny scene. How are things at home? Well, not the best. She just doesn't, you know what I'm saying? It's like the smell. There's a smell. There's an attraction thing. And after a while, it just kind of fades away a little bit. Yeah, well, it's supposed to fade away. Supposed to? That's marriage. You That's know, a... your mother and I, we've been married a long, long time. I what know. do you think? We're, we're, we're jumping into bed every two minutes? <laughs> Which I love I love giving Rob Reiner a scene to talk about sex. <laughs> and then when Jordan reveals basically all the women he's surrounded with and the temptations, and dad is totally interested. Really? And they're all shaved, too. Get out of here. They're all shaven. Now. Are you kidding me? Yeah. No bald, bush? Bald as a China No dog. bush? Again, the joy of hearing Rob Ryder talk about bush. Yeah. I mean, yes, is it? I think he says, I don't even mind the bush. Yeah, yeah I don't mind. I, I, I don't mind it. It's so damn funny. <laughs> and then we get to a moment of, like, I think genuine care. Dad. I don't want you stressing out about any of this. How can I not get stressed out? Look at the knuckleheads you got working for I you. I know the knuckleheads, but I need them to want to live like me. You get it? To live like me. This is something that Belfort talks about in the book all the time. Yeah. What does he say? He says that it, it's a total fucking rationalization for addict mm. behavior, frankly. But but what he says is, is that he wanted them to want to live like me, which costs a shit ton of money, mm. which... If they do live like him, they go deeper into debt and they have to work harder in order to make him more money. Jesus. But what do you do as a father in a situation like this? What is your responsibility? You know, we're seeing – how can I walk into this minefield correctly? Um, I was reading a Washington Post article yesterday or uh, last week about a son who turned into his father who stormed the Capitol and mm-hmm. how it um, caused such fracture within the family. Because the son kind of violated this unwritten rule in most families, which is you don't turn in your um, family member for something they've done. And then recently, Kathy Griffin came out and said that she turned in her brother for some stuff that he had done that was illegal. And I think it was a sexual assault or something. And, and I hope I'm quoting that correctly. If I'm not, please correct me if you, you all want. But this idea of violating this code, you know, and so – is his father complicit if he knows what Jordan is doing is wrong or does his father get to get away with not acting on this because he is an American citizen bound by laws. And if he sees someone committing a violation of the law, whether they be family or not, does he have a responsibility to say something? And should he have been also part of these people who were rounded up and arrested and convicted and what have you? I think he's absolutely complicit. I think, I mean, like you can't, based on the way the movie presents things in particular, but even in the book, mm. it's like the guy's not a moron. No, he's you know, presented as an intelligent dude. Yeah. So he know, he might not know the full depth of the insanity that's right. going on, but he knows this isn't right. Uh, it's funny. I won't, I won't give any of the details, but there was a person who uh, stole from someone I know, mm. embezzled money, Oof. and then their dad bailed him out. You know, rather than let that person go to jail. Um, wow. Um, and then what's and again, master filmmaker is that we're mostly in over the shoulders. Mm-hmm. And then the when the scene when the tone of the scene changes, 
we cut to these profile shots. So it's Jordan in profile looking towards dad and dad in profile looking towards Jordan. Mm -hmm. And he says, you're looking at me like I'm crazy. Crazy. This is obscene. And I think that's, he's trying, I think he's trying to reach his kid. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then we cut to this crazy party at the beach house and Jordan's making a speech and every, all the yahoos are cheering, you know, because he's created, you know, this locker room coach team. We got to destroy the other guy kind of climate. Um, and what we hear now is that the next thing they need to get into is IPOs. That's, that's what's going to take Stratton Oakmont to the next level. And the key to the IPOs is Donnie, because Donnie is friends with Steve Madden, who is the shoe salesman. Mm -hmm. And that is all the big wall street companies want to handle the IPO, which is an initial public offering. And we get two things happening at once, which all good films will do multiple things at once. One is, is that we hear about Steve Madden and this IPO and why Wall Street, why this is going to be valuable, yeah. while simultaneously getting a really nice lesson about the Quaalude. <laughs> Don't know what a lewd is? I'll tell you. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Looks like those lewds are working their magic on Donnie right now. And I think Jonah Hill's performance, <laughs> fucked oh up on Quaaludes, is so good. It's so good. And, and the use of slow motion as he's like, you could see him. And, and I have I, I've been this fucked up maybe a couple, not on Quaaludes, but <laughs> I've never done that. But where like, like I was really struggling to say something, you oh, know, yeah. um, it hasn't happened very often. But his performance of just he's trying to say Steve Madden is so funny. Now, Steve knows this. I have no recollection other than a couple of moments from that night in Mexico when I went full bore on drugs. And I fully admit it. You can't arrest me because I was in another country. Um, <laughs> I think that's how it works. Yeah, I think, I think legally that's correct. <laughs> yeah, but I was, I was drunk. Then I got high. Then I took Valium, and then Vicodin. I, it was Vicodin. Vicodin, Vicodin, and there was a fourth thing that I took, but I can't remember what it was. It was, was it ecstasy? It was. It was. So there are. I remember taking it. I remember uh, a friend of ours leading me through some meditation, flying through the air, trying to delay my high or extend my high, and then I remember sitting on a white plastic chair yes. with my eyes closed because the world wouldn't stop moving. And I don't remember being able to speak logically or legibly or understandably. So I don't know if I sounded like Jonah Hill or not. So I don't, that's the, all I remember from that night. And then of course, eventually getting climbing out of it and going and sitting by the pool, but it was one of the most insane nights of my life, but I don't remember anything else that I did that night. I don't remember if we went anywhere. I don't remember if we saw people. I don't remember if, if, you know, like I took off all my clothes. Like, I don't remember anything else from that, except those three moments from that night. I have a crystal clear memory <laughs> of that night. <laughs> and that was one of the great, it was a, one of the great nights. And then it was B, you went to a bad place and we, yeah. it was, and it was me and Vogel and Ross giving you all of the positive energy to mm -hmm. get you out of that place for hours. Yeah. And you, we couldn't get you to open your eyes. You know, we're like, dude, you got it. We're here. We're going to yeah. take care of you. Yeah. It was, a, it was, look, 
drugs yeah work <laughs> you know yeah. and i they, feel so terrible now that i'm older and I, I don't ever do drugs anymore but i feel so terrible because that was such a tough time for me with my father being diagnosed with cancer and i just was blowing it out in my own way and unfortunately my friends had to pay the price for it in certain on certain nights because i, I you know i just kept going I, I like to push my limits physically mentally i'm driven to do that in many ways and that just happened to be a night that i did that but i remember that's one of those quote unquote, and not in a good way, legendary nights where I took it a bit too far. And unfortunately, my friends, you know, their highs were ruined because they were focused on having to try to guide me out of this situation. And so, you know, I hope one day to pay it forward in different ways for many people, for those people. Well, you, but you had, you've been for, been there for us a bunch of times. I mean, like, yeah. of course you have, I mean, that's what friends do. And that night was n- that, that night was not ruined for me at all. That was oh. a fantastic <laughs> night. <laughs> you're a people watcher and you're like, this is fascinating. No, no, no. That part of the night was shitty, mm. but the night itself, that was one of the great, well, I mean, that still yeah. will go down as far as I know as the greatest bachelor party of our group of friends. A hundred percent the greatest bachelor party, period. Yes. Yeah. I don't disagree with you there, for yeah. sure. It doesn't compare to Jordan Pelford's bachelor party. <laughs> no. That's, that's which we're going to get to pretty soon. But right now, we're still at this party at the beach house. Yeah. And after we talk about Steve Madden and the shoes and the IPO and we go into Quaaludes, we hear... You got to come check this fucking chick out. And they go out to the balcony and there is Margot Robbie. Yeah. And did, when did you know when you're watching this movie? Because this is the moment I knew. When did you know that this was a star? Like, what was the moment when you realized she stands out from everything else that's going on in the movie? Because this initial moment when I saw her on there, I remember distinctly, there are certain people you just remember. And I remember sitting in theater going, God damn, that woman is beautiful. And in a way that is just objectively beautiful, as opposed to subjectively beautiful, which I, I'm saying, I don't know if everybody would agree with me. But so, but I felt that, and I knew immediately, I said, this is, she owns the screen right off the bat. And I was just surprised by that. So I, for me, it's a two-step process because, you know, Mm -hmm. we'd seen her a little bit at the beginning, see her here. And I agree with you. She just, she's in a huge crowd and it's like, she's all alone. Right. That's how how beautiful she is. Yes. But it's the, it's the next scene at dinner where you, where the acting chops come in and you see her toe to toe with DiCaprio completely holding her own. That's like done deal. This is a movie star, you know? Um, And, and of course, Jordan shamelessly flirts with him her in an extremely public way in front of her boyfriend her his wife is nearby it's just you know it's not the classiest of moves and yeah, I, I i love that the dude they cast to play her like what do you cuckolded dude it's hilarious man. yeah and, I, and the fact that you know oh we got these other parties to go to and we're gonna get going and then in just the most you know donnie we've already seen is really fucked up on lewds oh my and God. the camera whip pans over to him i think with his dick out masturbating yes you know to marco robbie in the middle of this party it's like jesus christ i slow-moed this scene to see if it was really his penis or a stunt penis like they attached or something right and I think it is a stunt penis because of the way it moves when his wife is attacking him for catching him jerking yeah. off to her, which I imagine did happen, Steve. I could not rule it out considering how many people say that a majority of this movie is the truth. I can't rule out a moment like that 
happening at one of these parties, for God's sakes. Because when you're this fucked up on drugs and consistently fucked up on drugs and willing to push the limits, you're like, fuck it, this seems like a good idea. Or you just give in to your impulses in that moment, especially someone like Donnie in the movie. It seems to make sense. I mean, <laughs> signs that you have a problem. <laughs> like... <laughs> Usually, yes, usually. Yeah, out of your head, publicly masturbating to a woman at a party, that's not normal behavior. Basically, if you whip it out in a public place, you've got issues you need to kind of come to terms with. Yes. Well, but it's also sign that you're in an enabling culture that is unhealthy is that there are no consequences, you know? 100%. Like these people just keep doing these horrible. Well, and it's like if you're having little people target practice and shaving a woman's head and yeah. you know, prostitutes and sex at your office. Well, there are no rules mm-hmm. like, you, you know, everything's kind of on the table. Yeah. And a lot of men feel that because they're the sole breadwinners, they can do whatever they want and not have to adhere to these codes or moral codes or lines or whatever, because they are the ones bringing in the money, you know, and that's kind of the lame excuse that they use, you know? Uh, speaking of that dinner, that's where we're going to go now. Oh yeah. And it's is where we hear that she's from Bay Ridge and this is where the origin of the Duchess of Bay Ridge, uh, name comes from. Mm-hmm. We also hear that she's part British and that she has an aunt Emma who I think is named aunt Patty in the book. Okay. So it's another name that's changed. So I was, um, a little surprised you asked Christy for my number. What's that? Aren't you married? Yeah, but what? Married people can't have friends? And I love Margot Robbie's performance in this moment. She says... We're going to be friends? It's so perfect Mm -hmm. because you can see how ahead of this game she is at this moment. Yeah. Yeah. You want to be my friend? And there's a pause and a reaction. And then she says... We're not going to be friends. It's a great scene. To all the guys who are listening, let me tell you something. From my experience, and I'm sure some of, the, and I'm sure the women who listen to us are going to back this up. When a woman knows, a woman knows, and most of the time, she knows before you do. She's just letting you think you know that you came to the decision. So, just putting that out there. So that moment is so believable, and I agree with you, Steve. That is the moment she becomes a star because she completely takes the scene from DiCaprio. In that moment when she says, we're not going to be friends. Just real matter of fact, like, you know what's going to happen here, and I'm going to own this thing of yours. Yeah, I I will say, and I'm very curious what you think of it. The emotional place that Jordan ends up next is the one thing I don't really believe in this movie. Okay. Which is as they're driving home, he is desperately trying to come up with a way to get up to her apartment and seems completely flummoxed. And I don't believe that Jordan Belfort, who I have met at this point, like it's so aggressive in every way. And yeah, we can go Margot Robbie is special and she's different and that's why he's off his game or something. But that's just, I, I, I don't believe it for, for me. Well, I mean, I think everyone is capable of love no matter how fucked up they might be. Uh, and so maybe in this moment he realizes because she knows that, you know, he, that he's got, well, he realizes that he's, got real feelings for her, genuine feelings for her. Mm. And as you said earlier, the fact that she, he put his dad in the company, that speaks that there's some level of humanity underneath all the debauchery and and whatever and the criminal criminality that he's doing financially. So he is it is capable. It is he is capable of being 
someone in love. And so being nervous or that, you know, you can regress to that kind of shit, especially because he's a child. He's an emotionally stunted child. So to him, if someone comes along who absolutely stands out, then he'll revert back to being the nerdy 12-year-old or 14-year-old who couldn't speak to women. And I, we don't go into his high school years or whatever, but right. I imagine he probably was one of these nerdy kids who couldn't get a lot of women back then, you know, especially with the way he comes into the office for the, for the first time with like Matthew McConaughey and that dude talking shit to him. He he doesn't push back on those guys at all. He takes it, learns from them. And, and that, that speaks to me about a guy who's like just desperate to be liked, you know? I mean, I don't think you get to his level of insanity and addiction without having some real empty spaces in your soul, you know? Yeah, 100%. Um, And right now on the drive home, he's trying to figure out an excuse to go up to her place, and she's the one who says, hey, come up for tea. And he goes, tea? Fuck yeah, I wanted to come up for tea. Then inside, you know, she asks him to light a fire, and and she leaves, and he's thinking, God help me, how do I fuck this girl? And then we hear the door open and he turns around and there is Margot Robbie naked. I mean, look, she's an, an unbelievably beautiful woman. I, I can't, you know, I can't. It's like if you had a, an incredible shot of cinematography in Lawrence of Arabia, I'm going to say that is an incredible vista I'm looking at. Yeah. This is, you know, she's a very beautiful woman. This is not objectification. She's a work of art. And when she comes through that, when the door slides open, that is a beautiful as I said, objectively beautiful woman. And um, whatever her fitness regimen was, whatever the makeup uh, was and the outfit and everything they did, because I think it's just the leggings or the stockings. Right? The, it was the perfect look. And, and I don't think Margot Robbie knew, or maybe she did, and all more power to her if she did. But that was the real moment that everyone else in the world was like, this is a star. Without it, maybe even knowing they knew that, that was the moment. She is so just, it's different. It's, it's, how can I say this? When she opens the door, you're not like Donnie wanting to like whip it out and start doing whatever to yourself. When you see, you're more like, Jesus, she is beautiful. It's an appreciation. And there's a difference, you know, and I know sometimes people don't understand that some men have a, have the ability to appreciate something beautiful rather than. Uh, immediately um, devolving into some sex-crazed maniac. And so I think that moment is she's gorgeous, just gorgeous. And you understand why Jordan is absolutely smitten with her from this moment on. You know, I'm going to make a really weird comparison, but I I feel like it's appropriate in a strange way, which is I like in this moment to the moment where skinny Steve Rogers becomes Captain America. Oh, yeah. You have that first shot of where, and and you see, uh, uh, what's her name? Um, uh, Haley Atwell, yeah, and her reaction to that, yeah. and going like, "No, that man is objectively a a beautiful man yes. in in a incredibly masculine way, yeah, and like it is, and it is stunning in that moment, and I think that's what happens in this moment, yeah." And the movie does a great job of leading you to that moment over these two scenes with her at the party and them at the dinner, so that when she opens the door, you have the power. The same way with Steve. We see all this stuff of Steve Rogers having this big heart. He could do this all day. He's a pipsqueak who fights. Right. And so that when he becomes the big guy, we're even more impressed with him as a, as a specimen, so to speak. Yeah. And, and then, we, of course, we immediately undercut it because uh, he, we hear in the voiceover, As you can probably guess, I fucked her goddamn brains out. Yeah. Oh, Jesus, Lord. 
for 11 seconds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then the rest of the scene is really funny as he like tries to essentially recover. Yeah. And then the dog comes in snapping at him and biting at him. Um, by the, the whole reason that he has a slip disc and has constant back pain, in addition to the fact that he's a drug addict, yeah. is the dog. The, is is Naomi, or I think it's Nadine's actual little dog. He tripped over it or snapped at him or something, and that's when he fell, and that's how he hurt his back. Wow. And you yeah. mean in real life? In real life, yeah. Oh, shit. He says... We really have to, you know, there's got to be a lot of warnings on this episode. He says, You're crazy. I couldn't get enough. I mean, her pussy was like heroin to me. Because you should and it wasn't just about the sex either. Naomi and I got along. I mean, we, we had similar interests and shit. And I love the cut from similar interests and shit is them in the limousine and him snorting coke off of her breasts. <laughs> similar interests and shit, you know. Car pulls up. He gets out, and there is his wife. Yep. Oh, this is a, a great Christina Milioti, just dragging him out of there yeah. in her acid wash jeans. So great. And him trying to get out of it in some way, and, oh, I thought you were at the beach. And he's, again, trying to squirm out of it yeah. and apologizes. And then she says, Is that what you want? And, man, there are some questions you have to answer right away. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't, it's out there. And she sees that he hasn't answered. Yeah. And then she says, Do you love her? And John, I'm going to say there's some questions you have to answer right away. <laughs> he doesn't answer that one either. Yeah. And she just turns away and cries and he just stands there. Mm-hmm. It's brutal. I agree. She's amazing in this scene. Yeah. Christina's so good. I, I yeah. love her as an actress. And so, like, yeah, seeing this moment, and right, I mean, this doesn't go for everybody, right? But from when I've when I've spoken to some women who've been cheated on, and the ones that sometimes stay in those relationships even after they've been cheated on, is because, well, he didn't love her, like he in it was like a, a an indulgent and he threw a word away. But if, but it's like hearing when someone, when for from what I understand from some of the women I spoke, to, this doesn't go for everybody again. But that is, that's the line. Like, if he falls in love with her, then that's a real threat. And then that's when it becomes untenable, the situation, you know? So, does, as I said, doesn't go for everybody. But certainly, that's a believable exchange for her to ask that over yep. just, did you sleep with her? You know, because dudes are caught up with you sleeping with someone else. Because dudes are, a lot of dudes, rather, so I say, again, doesn't play to everybody, but. Most of the guys are more obsessed with someone sleeping with their wife or their girlfriend or whatever than they are if she falls in love with someone else. There's two different things. Guys are more focused on the sexual act than on the emotion, whereas women, I think, are much more focused on the emotion than the the sexual act, which I think is the difference. And again, does not go for everybody, but it feels to me like from my experience and conversations – no, that's I think that's, difference. yeah, I, I think, I think generalizing, that's absolutely a difference. I also think that in this particular case, you're married to Jordan Belfort. I mean, did Teresa know that he was having sex with all sorts of prostitutes she, up to I, this point? I feel like she had to have Of course known. she knew. Right. Of course she knew. So, so th- this distinction in this moment uh, is huge. Even more, you so know, right. exactly. yeah. Good point. I felt horrible. Three days later, I filed for a divorce and moved Naomi into the apartment. You didn't feel that horrible. Yeah, I was going to say, it felt so horrible that I divorced and moved her in with me. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, Jesus, it's not going to take any time at all to, like, <laughs> maybe discuss this, but. 
Say what you will, but the Duchess did have style. She brought in a decorator, feng shui the whole place. She even hired a gay butler. This guy was smart, sophisticated, professional. I mean, really, really great. Jasmine? Yes, sir, I tried to stump you this evening. Very good. And he's thrilled with this butler and then says, except for that one time, and Naomi walks in on a, a full gay orgy in her in her apartment. Oh, my God. So that's something for uh, Naomi to walk in on. And then she's describing it to Jordan and pointing out where in their apartment these things happened. Yeah. He has a huge reaction to that. And now we've got the butler on the couch at the offices uh, with a bunch of with Donnie and uh, a bunch of the other guys, because the other thing we find out, in addition to them having an orgy at the apartment, yeah. is like a whole bunch of money is missing and all of Naomi's jewelry. He invited some friends over, right? Yes. One thing led to another. Things got out of hand. We understand that we do we, we do blow all the time. We're fucking degenerates okay. ourselves. Look at us, right? But they keep coming back to the money, and they ask him to go over all the details. I got a little high at breakfast. Right. You know, so I got a little happy. I mm-hmm. had some eggs. I had a little bit of ice cream, and then I said, who do I know that likes ice cream? <laughs> I like that we're starting with ice cream. And they come up with their friend Rudy, and then the butler turns to Donnie and says, you know who Rudy is. <laughs> <laughs> this Donnie. I did not see coming. This is yeah. such a great twist in the scene. Yeah. You who know, the fuck is Rudy? I don't know you anyone. Know, named last Rudy. month, the Lollipop Club, you know who Rudy was dancing. You, you know Ru- you know Rudy? I don't. I, I, <laughs> then, I love how the attention shifts oh, from so the guy who may or may not have stolen money and jewelry to over to, to Donnie. <laughs> And he tries to cover him. I, I'm fucked up. I don't remember. I go to these places. I don't know. I, I like to dance. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I met him. <laughs> uh, and, and I like too that again that you have the split scene because Donnie continues to be about Rudy while tensions with this butler to get information is getting worse and worse. And then finally, uh, Chester, Kenneth Troy, he's done and he starts beating the shit out of the guy. And yeah. blood goes everywhere. Donnie throws up. And then if that weren't enough, they hang the guy Batman style off the balcony of the high rise. <laughs> I had to call the cops just to keep him from killing the poor guy. I gave him each a thousand bucks and told him what Nicholas had done. Then they kicked his ass. That's a moment. Man. Yeah. Especially now in 2023 to hear something like that in 2023. It's, it has a different effect. I think considering all we've been through the last few years and talked about in our, public sphere around police brutality to know that that's like a, that he could just hand them off to the cops and cops the shit out of them. Crazy. Do you think Nicholas, the Butler stole the money in the jewelry? I, I can't say for sure, to be honest with you, because I could see him doing it and not because he's gay, but because like people steal all the time from rich people, especially people that work for them. But on the other hand, I could totally see them being stupid because they're all so high and drunk and all this shit all the time and misplacing stuff and thinking that uh, the butler stole the shit. So I can't, I don't fall one way or the other of this because there are unreliable narrators throughout that whole situation. That's definitely true. There's several different possibilities. Possibility one is that they did something with the money and they forgot it because they're on drugs and, you know, fucked up all the time. Mm-hmm. That's possibility number one. Number two is Nicholas the butler stole the money. Number three is some random guy that he had at this party might have taken it, and he knows nothing about it. Oh, that's fair, too. Yes, absolutely possible as well. Because yeah. I think 
Nicholas has to know 50 grand isn't that much money for these guys. And he's going to make way there. Jordan Belfort's the kind of guy that would hand him a thousand bucks for setting up a hooker or something. You know what I mean? Like he, he's got a plum job here yeah. and it would be stupid to steal that money from this guy in that way. But particularly after Naomi just walked in on them, you know, he would get that money back because he's already in deep shit. If he was, so I don't think he stole the money. I would say this though. I mean, people who are debaucherous attract other people who are willing to violate debauch. <laughs> debauch yes. Also debauch. And I don't mean the gay or sexuality. I mean like being able to steal money or whatever. So like, you know, I, I don't take it out of the realm possibility that they hired someone who has a proclivity to do this because they're doing it. And the, and I think the scene works as a, also a massive ironic fuck you to Jordan, that Jordan is upset that something was stolen from him when he right. steals from these people totally all the time and never pays the piper. So who the fuck is he to be sanctimonious about somebody stealing shit from him? Like the, the hypocrisy of this moment is also just really un, uh, so strange to witness, you know? That's a great point. And it's funny. I really good movies do a thing where they, a question pops into your mind and yeah. then the movie answers the question yeah, because yeah. the question that popped into my mind was, I was like, this, this is a guy that spent 26 grand on dinner. Like 50 grand is yeah. a lot of money to steal from me, yeah. but it's not that much money to steal from Jordan Belfort. And in the next scene, we get an answer to this question because we're on a golf cart. We see a huge bag full of money. And he said, it's not like I cared about the 50 grand anyway. I was making that much almost every day through one rat hole or another. And then we find out what a rat hole is. And this is once again, we got uh, Brad here. And what it is, is basically it's someone holding stock in their name while yeah. he drives up the price and then kicking back the cash that they make off of it. Yeah. Which I don't know how you don't get caught. I mean, these are just so obvious. Yeah. I mean, you know, because like the sale of the stock is going to generate a capital gain and it goes on a 1099 that the government knows they know the stock was was sold they know who got the money that's how the system works you know yeah, yeah so so like i don't understand how you would hide this but this is exactly what he did and of course he did hide it right and then we're back to the office and we get to meet our third director on this film which is john favreau enter our new securities attorney manny riskin Yo, this is the sec 700 bucks an hour to be the voice of doom listen to me you piss up the sec's leg you end up with your tits in a ringer and what we hear is that he's put the sec into a conference room bugged the conference room and turned up the ac so high that it's freezing in there yeah and by the way this all goes into one long tracking shot and it hmm. and i think this shot is so cool because the camera goes in flies over to the room where we see the sec guys working in their coats because it's freezing yeah and then we're hearing jordan belfort voiceover as the camera flies away from the room and it's moving through the offices where we see all sorts of chaos and then you sort of pick up leonardo dicaprio way in the background and he's walking parallel to camera as the camera is tracking right to left. And then he walks up to the camera and it, it's all perfectly timed and just starts talking directly to camera. And this is that thrilling thing that Scorsese can do with a camera that I don't think anyone does as well as he does, you know? Yeah, no, I agree with you 100%, brother. An IPO is an initial public offering. It's the first time a stock is offered for sale to the general population. Now, as the firm taking the company public, we set the initial sales price and sold those shares right back to our friends. I have a question for you. Yes. This is a movie in which you have voiceover. 
which yes. is, you know, common in films, narrated movie. But sure. you also have at certain select moments like this one, DiCaprio speaking directly to camera. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you think that how does that make you feel as an audience as opposed to just straight up voiceover? I think it's great because I think it's smart. Uh, because it leads you through these moments. Because remember, as you said earlier in the first part, Steve, and you've really turned me around on the movie. Now, when I wa- when I watched uh, the movie, I rewatched the last hour and a half of the movie again over the weekend as we're recording this on a Monday, and I was watching through the prism of Goodfellas. And so, mm-hmm. Goodfellas does the same thing, except Leota doesn't talk to the camera until the very end of the movie, right. and so. But he is voicing over a majority of the movie. and Well, not a majority, but in certain sections of the movie, there is voiceover. But it is only uh, Leota who talks or who, who talks to the camera. And it's only right in the court scene leading to the moment where he's talking about getting um, noodles and, uh, and ketchup for right. uh, spaghetti. Um, so maybe uh, Scorsese sensed that the best way to do that technique for this movie was to have more of the occasional looking into the camera scenes in the movie so that you're dialed in and connected to this character and what they're going through. So I like the technique because it makes us feel familiar with the main character and it makes us feel like we're in the confidence of the main character. So in a subconscious way, it makes the audience feel more important to the movie and a part of the movie, an interactive part of the movie. And that's a, that's always a smart move, and Scorsese uses it effective. I mean, you're not going to do this in Last Temptation of Christ, for God's sake. So, this is the these are the smart movies to do it in, like this. <laughs> I just pictured Jesus like turning the camera <laughs> and going, and that's when I knew that Judas was not my guy. Judas you know? not my guy. He dipped. You see him dip the bread in the wine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then we cut to a huge gem because Jordan is asking Naomi to marry him. Yes. Cut to the plane on his way to the bachelor party. I held my bachelor party at the Mirage in Las Vegas. The flight there alone was a bacchanal. One last blowout for the gods before I settled down for good. In the book, there's so many times he said, and that's it. That's when I knew I had to stop. (laughs) Gone too far. The gods were telling me that was enough. That, you know, which is typical addict behavior to to say that. I was just going to say that. Um, and, and, And like... Uh, Caligula is a good reference point. I mean, it is mm. just filthy, naked. You know, I love when the co- the plane swerves and cocaine is just flying everywhere in slow motion. A hundred strat nights, 50 hookers, plus 50 more waiting once we landed. Oh, and the drugs. I mean, I tell you, our plane was like a pharmacy with wings. Then we cut to the hotel room mm. and we see a top-down shot of the suite we see Leonardo DiCaprio walking naked through this space. There are unconscious naked people everywhere. There are drugs everywhere. Uh, and he walks through and he just casually, there's a woman passed yeah. out on the couch in a mink. And he casually just moves aside the mink, grabs her breast, and then just walks on before walk, looking out the window. Yeah. Um, here's a thing that they said about these scenes. First of all, again, they said everyone just decided to go full on. And then they also said that these scenes, with the exception of the one on the on the yacht and at the party on the beach house, these are all really smelly and that it was gross, you know, because you've got a whole bunch of naked people under hot lights all day in an enclosed space in that it just 
you know, making movies is not glamorous work most of the time. And this definitely wasn't, you know, body juice. I can only imagine all those people around each other for those moments or those scenes. Like, you know, you're not showering before every scene. You're showering at the beginning of the day. And maybe you're doing some upkeep in the bathroom, but eventually, you know, you're just lying around. I can't imagine the smell of it, which is why I've never done orgy, Steve. It's not for me. (laughs) It doesn't seem like it would be for me either. The smell alone. No thanks. thanks. Uh, We cut to the wedding, and (laughs) I love that the song that the singer is singing is Goldfinger. Yes. Shirley Bassey's Goldfinger. It's so there's a videographer going around taping things, which is going to come back later. Uh, Rob Reiner has some funny jokes. And then we meet Aunt Emma. And he walks up to her with cocaine still sort of splattered around on him. Into the donuts, I see. And he's embarrassed. And then she says, I lived through the 60s, my dear. Enjoy the day. Aunt Emma seems impossibly cool. It's the great Joanna Lumley, who is yeah. impossibly cool. You know, people watched Ab Fab and other things she's been in. So, yeah, what a great casting choice for her. And she works it so well. And especially in that scene we're going to see later on in the in the oh, movie yeah. with them on the bench. But, yeah, this is such a great introduction to her. And then we see as Jordan uh, surprises Naomi with this yacht, 150-foot yacht. And we cut to, and I think this is a great choice, we cut to the lifestyles of the rich and famous of the yacht. Yeah, Robin Leach. It's no coincidence that it's 150 feet of green hull is the color of cash. And what I think is so great about it is like, did you watch that show, by the way? Fuck yeah. I used to watch that show all the time. I loved Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. I love, what I love about putting it here is how it corrupts an experience that we had watching that show 20 plus years ago. You know what I mean? That's how I feel. It's like, like, oh, all those houses that I looked at and yachts and stuff, they might have been from scumbags like this. Yeah, might have been. They were. I mean, not all of not all rich people are scumbags. Well, right. No, that's true. But the ones with lifestyles of rich and famous, you're kind of looking at, I don't know. You've, I'm sure there's a nice chunk of them who were, who got their money. How is it? Ill-gotten gains with their I, money, for sure. Well, and you're right. Well, I'm not generalizing. But. Well, and, and what, but I'll also say that anyone that... If you want to have your wealth shown on Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, that says something about you that I certainly wouldn't want, you know? Yeah, and then MTV did Cribs, which was essentially Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous for the younger generation years later, and uh, they're trying to bring it back now for the new generation, this idea. So this idea of wealth and people wanting money, it's still a a very, very big um, thing in our society to see value through money rather than who you are as a person, you know? So. Yep. Yep. I mean, look, showing up in the beautiful car and the beautiful suit yeah. and the beautiful, whatever that works on people, you know? Yeah. It doesn't interest me. Cause I don't want people looking at me, you know, <laughs> like it's the last thing I would want, but it does. It certainly does work on people. It was heaven on earth. And then we see 18 months later and it's him asleep and boom, drink in the face. Wake up you piece of shit. Who's Venice? Because he was apparently talking in his sleep and she believes it's some hooker that he was with. And he's like, no, no, it wasn't. And he's trying to remember. He's actually trying to remember who yeah. this is. <laughs> and then we cut to, you know, there's shots in this movie that couldn't be in any other. They're not in any other film. No one has ever had this shot. And this is Leonardo DiCaprio, <laughs> you know, bent over with a candle coming out of his ass. <laughs> and. Yeah. 
again, it's funny. I like that his safe word is Wolfie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I like that she doesn't accept the safe word. <laughs> Donnie and I were in- investing in a condominium complex in Venice. That's why That's why all this confusion. Oh, you were investing in Italy. Not Italy, California. Do you think there's any chance she's going to believe that? No, none. And I, But I do find it fascinating. I do find it fascinating in human beings. If you cheat to get the man, like if you help the man or the woman, both, whatever, however yeah. you identify, if you're the person that someone else cheats with and you get with that person who cheated on their original partner to be with you, the sanctimony and the balls you must, or the guts you must have to be upset when that person cheats on you. I mean, it's mind-blowing to me how many people get caught up in that. So for her to be upset at him, for him cheating on her, she knew who he was, and yeah. he cheated on his wife to be with her. So why wouldn't he cheat on her? So, But this is, this is fantasy people live that they are somehow special in this way and couldn't possibly be cheated on. And I think what those moments do is showcase the fallacy of that uh, belief. I, I, this is not a defense of Naomi's uh, situation, but what I will say yeah. is I think he, he does feel differently about Naomi than he did about anyone else. Yeah. And they do have a special connection. And the stupid mistake that she made was to go this true special connection that we have means that he won't be that person that he was when I met him. Right. You know, right. Um, because that ain't the case. Right. And if she had seen, if she had seen the beautifully filmed scenes from the bachelor party, she would know. <laughs> Damn it! Baby, you know, you, you got real anger issues. You got so is the one who flew in here at three in the morning on that stupid helicopter and woke up Skylar. And then we see him like falling down by the helicopter that he falls into the pool. It sets yeah. off alarms. Oh my God. So hilarious. What's what's funny about the scene, too, is that the more she's yelling at him, the more turned on he's getting. And yeah. so he's starting to get amorous, which leads to another glass of water in the face. <laughs> and we head off to the nursery. This scene is it's like word for word. What's in the book, by the way, this one. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Is that they're talking in front of the baby and they're talking in a baby like way about not very baby like things. <laughs> Daddy get a kiss from both of his little girls, huh? Oh, no. No, Daddy doesn't even get to touch Mommy for a very, very, very long time. Daddy's really sorry about what he said in the other room. He didn't mean any of it. Daddy shouldn't waste his time. <laughs> and I love that her choice, which, is, which again, is right out of the book, is that she is going to be as sexy as possible and deny him sex. That is the punishment. And from now on, it's going to be nothing but short, short skirts around the house. And you know something else, Daddy? Mommy is just so sick and tired of wearing panties. John, how do you feel about hearing me read these lines? Uh, uncomfortable, very uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Just describe what's happening. Uh, but yes, this this is an interesting uh, um, uh, scene here, and it, you know, this is her flexing her power that she has over him and turning him back into a little bit of a dog. And um, again, this is another example of of how great Margot Robbie is as an actress. She absolutely 
understands what this scene uh, demands and yeah. delivers it no perfect. Like every word is no perfect in terms of tone, in terms of build, uh, and where it leads to uh, in the end. And of course, uh, thinking she's got the upper hand and then Jordan turns it around to her by mentioning the Roccos are watching. Well, this is, it's funny. It's one of the moments where, again, I'm not comparing myself to Scorsese or as an editor to Thelma Schoonmacher in any way, mm. but I wouldn't, have done, I wouldn't have done it this way because he cuts to them first mm-hmm. and then has Leo describe, hey, look at that fuzzy bear over there. That eye is a camera. Yeah, yeah. Is I would have had Leo describe the bear and say the eye is a camera and then cut to the two Roccos at when she realizes it, not before. Um, and I'm curious what the thought process was to show the two Roccos watching first. Exactly. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah, oh, I see. And so, oh, right. So you see them watching it and then he exposes it. Oh, okay. Her. I could see that. Yeah. And I, but, I, but I also, this is where I would love to, and particularly in this case with Thelma Schoonmacher, is mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a reason. I'm sure right, this is exactly right. the conversation you have in the editing room. Yeah. I could do this before. I could do this after. What should, we, what should we do it? And I'm sure they said, we want to do it this way for this reason. But I don't know what the reason is. And I would love yeah. to know. And, of course, her reaction to that is also, yeah, I mean, how, how humiliating to have to have that realization in that moment. Yeah. Um, and we're back at the office getting ready for the IPO. And there, for the first time, we see Thomas Middleditch, who we'll later see in Silicon Valley, wearing a bow tie, looking very nerdy, cleaning out his fishbowl. The biggest IPO in this firm's history. What the fuck is he doing? Yeah, and Donnie goes up to him and talks to him about cleaning the fishbowl and then starts to walk away and then... Cocksucking motherfucking new issue day! This is what you do! Hey, everybody, listen up! This is what happens when you fuck with your pets on new issue day! And he pulls that goldfish out of the thing and eats it. Yeah. Which uh, Danny, the guy Donnie is based on, absolutely really did. Yes. He's, yeah, he's, he says uh, he wouldn't get rid of the goldfish. So I did. Yeah. 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 And then he slaps him in the face and sends him out of the office. I mean, of all, there's so many things that are fucked up in this movie, and I'll just say that this is one of them. <laughs> <laughs> they walk Steve Madden out to make a, a an impressive speech. And by the way, in the book, this goes on forever. Oh, and, wow. he, and, and he makes so much fun of Steve Madden and how wimpy he is and covered in sweat he is and disconnected he is. But Steve Madden starts making a speech. It does not go well. They immediately start mocking and making fun of him. And Jordan has to come out to the rescue. And this is where, you know, Jordan Belfort, for all the, the reasons that I hate him, and I truly hate this guy, yeah. he is a good coach. You know, yeah. Yeah. he knows how to get the team riled up. And that is what he does. It's up to each and every one of you, my highly trained Stratonites, my killers, my killers who will not take no for an answer. And you could see them. They're just eating this up. They're loving it. Yeah. Yeah. My fucking warriors who will not hang up the phone until their client either buys or fucking dies. And he screams into the mic. He's banging the mic. DiCaprio is such a great actor, man. Yeah. 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 He just, his, I I really think, I'm wondering if in a few years you and I are going to be talking about him like Daniel Day-Lewis. You know what I mean? which is ironic. Of course, they were in gangs in New York yeah. um, together. 
Well, I already think he's in the conversation. Well, I mean, it's just different. He's not a Daniel Day-Lewis type of actor. He's a movie star who can act. That's, I guess that's how I would describe him differently. Like, Daniel Day-Lewis isn't going to put butts in seats at True. the level that DiCaprio will. But DiCaprio is going to bring you character actor level type of acting, which is really nuanced and high-end and level, has layers and levels to it, to a film and be the movie star of the film. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, people might get mad at me for this, and I love Tom Cruise to pieces. No one's a bigger Tom Cruise fan than I am. No one. Not even Tom Cruise. And wow, that's eight I will tell you right now. I, and I, I would take a bullet for the man. And I will tell you right now, I mean, I won't die, but I'll take a bullet. I'll tell you right now um, that DiCaprio is a better actor than Tom Cruise. Absolutely. As well as being a movie star like Tom Cruise. So there's just two different things here. So with Daniel Day-Lewis, that is a consummate actor who is not looking to be a movie star. DiCaprio is looking to win with a star, but also is a consummate actor. So I think that's what makes him unique in the world of, of um, superstar actors. I, I So I think it's interesting, the Tom Cruise comparison, because mm. I agree with you. I mean, I, yeah. yeah, I think that Tom Cruise, there is an argument, and I think a very, very strong argument, that he is the greatest movie star in the history of film. Quite possibly. You know, there's nobody that stayed a top star with, you know, a couple of dips at various times for yeah. longer than Tom Cruise. You know, like that's it's an unbelievable career. Yeah. We're in the fourth, fifth decade of him being. A yeah. yeah. Um, and I think as the arguably the greatest movie star, one of his skills is that he's also a great actor. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he can he can bring it if he wants to. Right. But but he's not choosing the roles that DiCaprio is choosing. Right. DiCaprio is choosing things that are every time going to push the envelope for him in new, I mean, like just, you know, once upon a time in Hollywood, Django. Yeah. Yeah. Departed Revenant. And this, it's like, these are all over the place, all risky in different ways. Yeah. You know, like no Tom Cruise isn't making those kinds of movies. Yeah. Killers of the, you're not going to find Tom Cruise in killers of the flower mode. No, you're not, and that's the difference there. And the, and that does not denigrate what Tom has done in Magnolia or in. He's a uh, great actor. Yeah, in uh, uh, Born on the Fourth of July or other uh, films where he's allowed to really show you what he can bring as an actor. But you know, this is where DiCaprio is distinctly different from all all of the big movie stars. I would put him above, like any of the movie stars you can name. I would probably put DiCaprio above all of them in terms of the ability as an actor. And remember, Daniel Day-Lewis is an A-list actor. It does not mean that he's a movie star necessarily, but he's certainly a star. Uh, And uh, whereas I think DiCaprio is a movie star who's also a consummate actor. Well, to be real clear, Tom Cruise would not appear in a film prone with a candle sticking out of his ass. (laughs) That's right. Tom Cruise isn't going to do that. Great point. There's a yes. gutsiness to DiCaprio yeah. that I think not all movie stars have. Yeah. Good Let me tell you something. There is no nobility in poverty. I have been a rich man and I have been a poor man and I choose rich every fucking time. Because at least as a rich man, when I have to face my problems, I show up in the back of a limo wearing a $2,000 suit and a $40,000 gold fucking watch. Which he tosses out into the crowd. Yeah that they scrabble for, you know, 
desperately. Mm-hmm. And I think that framing, this is key to the whole movie yeah. and his worldview. But he's using he's using the like he's already conditioned them, like he says in the film, right? They were they were wolves in a pit. They were, you know, I and I love that, right? When they af- went after Madden, this was an example of what he had trained them to be. So he did save Steve Madden, but he also enjoyed, he let him hang out there a little bit, uh, getting uh, nibbled on by all the wolves there because, like, he is the king of the pack. And so he will come down off the cliff when he's ready to come down off the cliff to save uh, a potential prey uh, and keep the wolf, other wolves at bay. And that's what he does. He comes down, he saves Madden, but then he gets them and riles them back up again and redirects their anger towards the people they're going to call so that they can get their money from them to help Steve Madden make the, and he paints this picture, which is of course an utter illusion uh, because the real picture is they're probably going to end up depressed, suicidal, mental health issues, abusive to their wives, terrible to their children and And in jail and in jail uh, and addicted probably to drugs or alcohol or all of it. And so he paints, though, the fantasy, which is what every cult leader paints, right? Is this right. fantasy. And you'll be the special one. You'll be better than everybody else. That has an, that's an inherent thing in human beings, is this desire to be better than everybody else, or somehow special or stand out, right, than everybody else. And I think that's what you see. And I'm, I'm not saying that, that's, um, that all humans have that. I'm just saying, you know that's what these cult leaders prey on. Because they get these people who are insecure or don't are not emotionally mature or haven't quite gotten there overall uh, in a place where they don't need that kind of nonsense in their lives. And so he knows how to push their buttons. Um, and indulging this fantasy is how he gets them even more motivated to go do what he wants them to do. And he is a really good motivator. I mm-hmm. mean, the fact is, and, and the, there's a cadence to this speech, and that's what good locker room speeches do. Are you behind on your credit card bills? Good, pick up the phone and start dialing. Is your landlord ready to evict you? Good, pick up the phone and start dialing. Does your girlfriend think you're a fucking worthless loser? Good, pick up the phone and start dialing. I want you to deal with your problems by becoming rich. This speech is like word for word out of the book. And what bugs me so much is just the joy that Jordan Belfort, the author, Mm-hmm. takes in writing about how great Jordan Belfort was. You know what I mean? Oh, of course. Yeah, of course. Um, He's never not going to promote himself. Yeah. Even in the book that he started with this apology for all these terrible things he did. <laughs> but wasn't I great? I mean, right. come on. I was pretty awesome. Yeah. The apology um, is, a, is a sales tactic for sure. And when he gets them completely riled up and he tosses the mic and screams and they all scream and then the sound drops out. The camera flies through the floor with crowds of crazy people on the phone. At 1 p.m., we opened the stock for sale at $4.50 a share. By 103, it was over $18. Even the big Wall Street firms were buying. Jesus. Well, and, and I forget exactly how this whole mechanism works, but he's buying and selling to himself yep. to drive up the price. Yep. So that all the other Wall Street firms and everyone else sees this and they start buying it so that then he can sell it. It's just all a scam, you know, using these rat holes and all this stuff that he's doing. Uh, And we go back to the offices and we push in on Leo and we say. Of the two million shares offered for sale, a million belong to me held in phony accounts by my rat holes. Now, once the price hit the high teens, 
You know what? Who gives a shit? As always, the point is this. $22 million in three fucking hours! <laughs> and right when this is going on is when he gets a call from Barry Kleinman, who, if you don't remember, is the guy who shot the video of his movie because he just got subpoenaed. The video just got subpoenaed by the FBI. This is so, this is such great construction in a film, right? The moment where he is at the apex of his power, we see him with a name like Steve Madden, who everybody knows Steve Madden. Uh, You know, if you're in the pop culture zeitgeist, you know who Steve Madden is. And to have him brought into this movie in this way and find out about all this stuff uh, that was behind him in this way. And he is the one that lords over Steve Madden and turns this all around and makes $22 million. And just when you see, he's got the beautiful wife, he's got this fantastic life that he's doing whatever he wants to do. And right at this moment, um, the wedding videographer calls in. This guy who's probably you know, struggling to pay his rent, struggling to pay his bills. This guy calls him and says, the FBI wants the video of the wedding. They want to put some names together. And so begins this battle for the rest of the movie between him and the FBI. He's at uh, Rao's, which is a very famous restaurant in Harlem. Apparently this restaurant is, it people own the table there. Like, and, and have owned it for generations and you just can't get in like the, it, it's, and it's makes it a restaurant where I kind of want to go, you know, to get in cause it's impossible to get in. Um, and he's sitting there talking to his, his private investigator mm. who is a guy named Bo Deedle and the actor playing Bo Deedle is Bo Deedle. This is <laughs> Jordan Belfort's actual private investigator. Yeah, and you. let me tell you a bit about this guy, please. Cause he is fascinating. His, his, he was a cop and his autobiography was called One Tough Cop, which was made into a movie uh, starring Stephen Baldwin. But the plot of it is also the what inspired uh, The Bad Lieutenant. Oh, the um, Harvey Keitel film. Yep. Right on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Goodfellas, he plays the detective who arrested Henry Hill. Right. Yes. And he plays uh, the mob boss uh, Joseph Gil- Gilmco in The Irishman. So he's done multiple oh, movies. Right. With Scorsese. So let's let me tell you a little bit more about this guy. Okay. He's also the private investigator for Don Imus, for Steve Bannon. Yikes. He was hired by Fox News to discredit the women that charged that they filed sexual harassment claims against Bill O'Reilly and Roger Ailes. Yikes. He was a regular contributor on Fox News. And after he got sued for invasion of privacy, Fox News decided not to have him on anymore. <laughs> guy sounds like a winner. Yeah quite a winner uh but that was but that was this was 10 years ago so this yeah. was before all of that but still yeah. long before yeah this is all long before all that yeah they're talking about this fbi investigation and the guy running it is a boy scout and so not really corruptible and then he kind of and then jordan kind of goes well what if we you know get a bug in his house or like do a little investigation on him you don't fuck with these guys like that you don't fuck with them like that what are you nuts or something okay if i if i can't do that can i just can i give the guy a call why is that jordan jordan do me a favor the only one that calls this guy is your fucking lawyer he goes all right he says okay i won't call cut to (laughs) my favorite scene in the movie i i think this scene is so great we're at the dock at the yacht and there is the FBI, and there is Jordan with a glass of wine, sort of looking glorious, 
welcoming them up to his yacht to have a conversation. Yeah. This is Kyle Chandler's first day on the set. Oh, wow. It's also the first day he met Leo. Interesting. Wow. And he says DiCaprio made him super comfortable. They did tons of improv to work out what this scene was going to be. And I think, man, he holds his own so much with DiCaprio. I mean, more than holds his own, frankly. And what you just said proves what we were talking about earlier. Like, there's not a lot of movie stars that are going to improvise with you for a while and help you get to the place on your first day. There's a lot of movie stars that are like, you better bring it. I'm not going to spend extra time with you. I got I'm in a lot of scenes. But the fact that he was willing to do this with Kyle Chandler also speaks to the inherent nature of DiCaprio as an actor. He is an actor. And an actor understands that I have to help the other people in the scene be as comfortable as possible so that they can deliver great work and I can deliver great work and we all benefit from that. And that's the difference, right? And so that just proves the point. And it's really awesome to hear that he did that for Chandler. And he welcomes him on board. And immediately there are beautiful women, there's amazing food, there's booze, there's, you can see him like, I'm going to tempt this guy. Have you been on one of these before? <laughs> Kyle Chandler's reaction is like, a boat? Well, learn how to sail when I was six. Oh shit, is that right? You know, and of course what he's saying, have you ever been on a 150 foot luxury yacht? Right, you know? right, right, right. But, but, but Agent Dunham is like, I refuse to be impressed with you. This whole scene is Jordan using all of his tactics against Denim. Yeah. And then the tactics that he's used to build up the people, his cult. And the thing is, Jordan's not really surrounded by people who tell him no. Right. And when you're constantly not surrounded by people who tell you no, you get soft. And you think all the guys, all men, are going to act the same way that your cult members are going to act and that you can work on them like you work on these cult members. And I think this is where Jordan, in the context of the movie, not in real life, obviously, or whatever his memoir says, but this is in the context of the movie where Jordan fucks up. Because oh, yeah. he's so used to everybody telling him yes that he doesn't quite know how to go toe-to-toe with a guy who can't be bargained with, bribed with. Was it the say about Terminator? You yeah. can't bribe with him. You can't negotiate. He's a will not stop until you are dead. <laughs> You're fucking dead. Yeah. He and and that's what it is. And Jordan does all this stuff because again, as we mentioned earlier, he's in a state of arrested development. So he thinks he can kind of do this kind of stuff. And so as we see later on the scene, which I'm, I know you're going to get to, Steve, when he starts to implode, he implodes like a child or a teenager would implode. Uh, and it's because this guy is an adult and he can't, he can't win over this adult. He can't fool or lie or trick this or tempt this adult. And it's great to see this uh, in the movie at this moment. Well, and I think, you know what I think too, is that Jordan is very used to being able to persuade everyone to get on his team. Yes. But what he doesn't realize is that there is a self-selection process, which is that those young guys that show up at his office after reading the Wolf of Wall Street article in Forbes mm -hmm. are exactly the kind of guys that Jordan's bullshit is going to work on because right. that's what they want. And they're already half in the bag for him. Exactly. Just by walking through the door. Yeah, you're right. So okay. the charm and the women and the drugs and all the stuff that he uses on them, yeah. that's not going to work on this FBI agent. Right. But he doesn't really know that. And I love how uh, 
Chandler plays it at first. He says, This case got dumped on my desk. Did it? You know, by a higher-up who uh, needs to make a show of looking into the new company on the block, you know, with Loud all the press guys, and everything, the and then press. I end up being the schmuck who does I the looking. It. Exactly. He's working Jordan as much as Jordan thinks he's working oh. him. Yeah. And then Jordan says, look, the bigger firms are doing – I got all the information on them, and I can help you out. And he says – Goldman, the Lehman Brothers, Merrill, collateralized debt obligations, this internet stock bullshit. I mean it's a fucking travesty. So collateralized debt obligations mm. are a big hunk of what caused the 2008 crisis. Oh, wow. So I think it's really interesting that they pull that out here because that's where, you know, subprime loans are collateralized debt obligations. That's right. what was happening, where where these giant firms were investing in loans to selling short loans that they themselves owned that were collateralized over these, you know, all these loans. And that's suddenly, you know, the market drops out. And, uh, you know, Lehman goes I think Lehman's the one that goes bankrupt in 2008 because of all these shady deals. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Mm -hmm. I don't see why a little sit down like this mm -hmm. can't be profitable for the both of us. It should, right? It should profit the both of us. It should. I love how Jordan dangles the word profitable. Yep. Let's just sit in the air there. And of course, we know watching the movie, we were told this guy's a Boy Scout. This is not going to work. Right, right. And then Jordan starts to try to sell him. And he's so just leading him on like, okay, where are you going to go with this? Another personal question you don't need to answer. No, no, that's all right, Jordan. What are you pulling, 50, 60K, something like that, a year? Let's put it this way. You get a free handgun when you sign up for the Bureau. <laughs> and then Jordan is indignant. No, but it what fucking pisses me off. You know what I mean? You think about the people that built this country, hardworking people like you, you know, firefighters, teachers, FBI agents. End of the day, you guys get fucking skinned alive financially. It fucking makes me angry. And I'm like, you're one of the guys skinning them alive. Right. You know, that's that's those all those garbage men and postmen you were selling those pink slip stocks to. Now that's the one thing about Wall Street in this market is for me, I feel it's good to give back. You know, there's there's situations where I can make those situations better for people. I love how he just sort of dancing around the bribe, you know, yeah. and he tells this story about like a young guy who came in worked for him and he, you know, had his mom in the hospital and he got his mom in the best hospital. And <laughs> like he goes, it didn't work out for her. Granted, she passed away, unfortunately, but we gave him that opportunity. You know what I'm saying? It's just about setting up the right team. And then overnight, your life can change. And he asked what an intern makes in a deal like that. I mean, in that particular trade, and one trade north of half a million dollars. And I do that for anybody, you know, anybody that needs the proper guidance. It's amazing how if you give people enough leeway to speak, they hang themselves with the rope. And whether it's on a news show or it's here in this conversation, um, it's funny to watch. It's always funny to watch. And they can't help themselves. Yeah. They cannot help themselves. And Jordan is exactly is doing the exact thing that we see we've seen people do in our world recently. This just as soon as they you know they, every they think they can talk their way out of everything, they think if they have more time to in front of the camera or uh, in front of the people who are supposedly offended by them or upset at them that they can talk their way out of it. And and seeing him 
try to do this with denim, I think is hilarious. As you said, Steve, it's your favorite scene in the film. And I think you're probably right. It's the best scene in the film possibly. And this is a big reason why, because both of these guys are bringing it as actors and the writing is fantastic in this scene. And the switching of power in the scene is great. And the twists and turns by the end, it's all fantastic. It's like a mini movie within itself. Totally. And the joy that comes starts to come over Kyle Chandler's this moment. Just the glee when he goes like, can you say that again? Yeah, can you say that again? (laughs) And he goes, just "Just the way you said it to me. Just the way you said it to me. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, come on. You know what I'm talking about. I just say the same thing. I think what Jordan just did is he... If I'm not mistaken, no. you just tried to bribe a federal officer. No, technically, no. I didn't bribe anybody. No, no, technically, that's not the conversation. That's, no, no, no. According to the U.S. Criminal Code, there needs to be an exact dollar figure for an exchange oh. of services. That would not hold up in a court of law. You need both fucking no, no, I heard it. No, 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 no. And now, Kyle Chandler's just laughing and smiling. Yeah. And, he, and then Jordan's line, again, is a hilarious oh, line. Sail on a boat fit for a Bond villain. Sometimes you need to play the part, right? <laughs> and now it's Denim's turn. You know, Jordan, I'll tell you something. Most of the Wall Street jackasses that I bust, yeah, they're uh, they're to the manor born. Which I love that expression. Yeah, their fathers are douchebags, just like their fathers before them. But you, you, Jordan, you got this way all on your own. Did I? Good for you, little man. Little man. That little man Ooh. sticks, man. Yeah, dude. Yeah. If you're not uh, emotionally stable, a comment like that is going to send you off the fucking uh, yeah. cliff. Yeah. No, let me tell you something else. Honestly, uh, I'm not bullshitting here. This is one of the nicest boats that I've ever been on. I got I to gotta tell you. I bet it is. And you know what I was just thinking, too? The fucking hero that I'm going to be back at the office when the Bureau seizes this fucking boat. Because, I mean, fucking he fuck fuck, Jordan. Look at this thing. <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> Oh, so good. And I love I love DiCaprio's choice to laugh with it. They're laughing together yes. in this moment yes. as he's kicking him off the boat. Good luck on that subway ride home to your miserable, ugly fucking wives. I'm going to have Heidi lick some caviar off my balls in the meantime. Hey, you guys want to take some lobsters for your ride home? And he throws lobsters at them. <laughs> and then pulls out big wads of cash in his, out of his pocket. He said, look what I found in my pocket, a year's salary right here. And he just tosses it at them. Yeah. It's a great scene. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic scene. And now we have finally the antagonist to um, Jordan's protagonist in the movie. And it's been slowly building, but they had to establish, Scorsese had to establish everything in Jordan's world so that now you understand the stakes of what is going to be removed from Jordan's world by Denim. Uh, if he gets his way and if Jordan gets uh, put in jail for the things that he's done. So, yeah. Well, and I think as our two opponents have finally come together, this is a good time to end part two of our exploration of the Wolf of Wall Street. Of course, we'd love to hear your thoughts. I feel like John and I shared a fair amount uh, (laughs) during our exploration of this episode. And so if you have your own stories you want to share, we'd love to hear them on our Facebook page. You can just do a search for the cinephiles. You can also subscribe to the show on Apple podcasts, on YouTube, on Stitcher. You can uh, leave your reviews on Apple podcasts. Your, you can leave your comments on YouTube. And of course it's Cine underscore files on Twitter, cinephiles podcast on Instagram. You can go on Patreon. And right now I believe this week we have a new 
FMK Up is our cinephile short. And we are about to record a new watch along as well coming up soon. Uh, so you can check those things out on patreon.com slash the cinephiles. You can buy or stream The Wolf of Wall Street along with every other movie we've ever reviewed on cinephiles.net. And if you want to reach me, you can reach me at SR Morris on Twitter or SR Morris one on Instagram. John, how about you? You can always reach me at the Roca says on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, the outlaw nation on Twitch, uh, my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash John Roca says we just crossed 30,000 subscribers marching towards 50,000. So if you haven't checked that out, I'd love for you to check it out and see all the other content we do or I do on, on the channel there and my other podcasts, the uh, geek buddies and the uh, um, hot mic that are out there for you all to enjoy as well. And that is it for this week. We will be back next time to conclude, I think, our exploration of the Wolf of Wall Street right here on The Cinephiles. <laughs> <laughs>